0: Well, good morning. Glad you're with us. Good morning, Ording Valley, Traditions, those watching online. Glad to be with you this morning and glad to be in dry clothes after a quick baptism dunk. And uh, I hustled out here, so if I'm out of breath already, don't worry, I'll catch it and we'll get going again. But I want to remind us this week why we exist. And I think you can put it in terms of why Sound Life Church exists. Sound Life Church exists to help people flourish not just survive, but flourish through relationship with Jesus, through knowing Jesus. That's where flourishing comes from. It doesn't come from the amount of money we have. It doesn't come from the, the worldly quality of life, the amount of possessions. It doesn't even come from the number or quality of human relationships that we have. The quality of our lives, the flourishing of our lives, is determined by our connection to the giver of life. So the more that we know him, the more we are likely to flourish even in a broken world and so the lord calls his church he's called you and me he's created his church here and around our community around our state our nation and our world to carry that message of connection to jesus here's the thing about connection to jesus though it's not just a one-time prayer it's an every day every moment every breath every heartbeat relationship where god is so present with you that he knows your soul better than you know yourself and he can actually teach you about it which is nice as well and so I want to talk a little bit more about that and we've been talking about that in terms of biblical core values and the the Bible teaches us biblical core values for the sake of the church flourishing and the church leading the world into flourishing we saw that in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 there's a picture of the brand new church as God birthed it by his Holy Spirit And it's this beautiful picture of human life as it should be, human life as it's meant to be, human life devoted to the right kinds of things, human life generous and loving to one another, human life looking past all of the different differences to join around the thing that matters most, flourishing through relationship with Jesus. That's what we're called to be. And the Bible leads us towards core values and principles that allow us to walk in relationship with Jesus, to enjoy the relationship that he has, even in the worst of times. And sometimes we experience the worst of times, don't we? There are those in our church this morning that are mourning lost loved ones. There are those in our church this morning that are worried about loved ones who are sick or in the hospital, There are those of us that are worried about other things and and wrestling with things, issues of finances, issues of health, issues of relationship, marriage, family. I am not here to discourage you, but to remind you that in this broken world, we need something more than ourselves if we're going to live life to the fullest, and that's what Jesus offers us. That's what Jesus brings to us, and so a community flourishes when it is devoted to Jesus when it is growing in Jesus and when it is missional with Jesus. Those are the core values of Sound Life Church. I believe they're biblical core values. I think they're core values that we didn't think up. We just put a, a fresh label on the same thing the Bible's been teaching for a couple thousand years and actually long before that. And so that is the goal of this community. But here's the cool part. Those same values that make a community flourish also make you flourish. That living a life that is devoted to Jesus, that is growing, never stop growing in Jesus, and that is missional with Jesus, that you find purpose and direction for your life that is not temporary but eternal, that that is what brings a flourishing life, being devoted to Jesus, growing in Jesus, and being missional with Jesus. And that those same values that make us flourish as a church, make you flourish as an individual. Will make your marriage flourish if you will commit yourself to them. Will help your life, your children, all those things flourish. Perfectly, no. That's not the principal's fault. It's not God's fault. It's usually the brokenness in us, but that's where Jesus came and on the cross, made allowance for our sin. He made grace to cover our sin. He said, I'm going to make up for your differences. I'm going to make up the gaps where you fall short. And by the power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, God can resurrect our brokenness. He can resurrect our broken personalities, our broken situations, our broken pasts, our broken presence, and he can bring us a flourishing future but he's always leading us back to these same principles, these same core values. And we looked at being devoted to Jesus last week, and, and I said this, that devoted followers desire to please Jesus more than anything else, and they trust him with the results. But both of those parts are important. Desiring Jesus, desiring to please him, that our end goal is not some self-determined result. Our end goal is only to please Jesus. Do you know what's wonderful about that? Because of the cross and the resurrection, if you desire to please Jesus, you can't hardly help but succeed. That's a nice thing. That's, I like goals that I can succeed at. That if you trust Jesus, you can't help but succeed at pleasing Jesus. The hard part for us is always trusting Jesus with the results. The hard part is trusting Jesus when circumstances are not going our way, and we're like, Lord, I'm trying to keep my eyes on pleasing you. I'm trying to stay focused on you, but nobody's focused on me right now, or so we think. But the Lord holds our lives in in his hands. He holds our circumstances in his hands, and the testimony of God working in broken human history is that he can always bring good out of evil when people trust him. He always brings good out of evil when people are devoted to him. And though we don't always see how that works, sometimes we don't see it in our own lives right away. We don't see it in other people's lives right away. The testimony of scripture, of church history, is that where people devote themselves to Jesus, God shows himself faithful in powerful ways. In ways that are supernatural and that we can't explain by our own logic or our own planning, that idea of devotion we talked about last week is, is described biblically in terms of a whole heart, your whole heart given to something, all of your heart. And that wholeheartedness is simply, it's the same theme that we see in our culture of all in, of giving ourselves totally to something, of, of being loyal to the end, totally committed, no holds barred, nothing held back. That's wholehearted. And that's the way we all want people to be, about our passions and about us, but it's always the way that we're hesitant to be towards other things, right? We always leave margin, we always leave space, we always have a fallback, a plan B, but what our hearts long for is something worth being wholehearted towards, And being wholehearted, the Bible says, is what God is looking for in every generation, looking around the globe, in every culture, at every age group, and what is he looking for? Hearts that are fully committed to him. Wholehearted, devoted people that will trust him to bring the end results that will actually bring flourishing. That will actually bring both God's desire for you and deep down, the longing you have in your own soul. That's what Jesus does for us, that's why Jesus saved us, so that we could walk with him in that relationship. So what I want to talk about today is, what does that actually look like? Because most of us are like, okay, Caleb, yeah, we should be wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus, I get it, like, Jesus, I gave you my heart, here's my whole heart, I prayed the prayer, like, what more do you want from me? Okay, I'll follow the rules, I'll be fairly well-behaved, I'll kind of do mostly good things, so there, I'm wholehearted, Right? Isn't that kind of what we slip into? We're just, you know, like kids trying to appease their parents sometimes, and some of us don't make it easy on our kids. Sometimes we feel like God's that kind of parent. But God's saying, that's so far short of what I created you for. That's so far short of what it means to be wholehearted, because what is that really half-hearted? half-hearted is just gross. Nobody likes half hearted You don't want half-hearted to play on your team, right? You want half-hearted on the other team. You don't want half-hearted coworkers working alongside you because you're then working a heart and a half to make up for their half-heartedness, right? We don't want half-hearted relationships. We don't want half-hearted partners in anything in life. We don't want to be around half-hearted people. Half-hearted people are no fun because when you're half-hearted, your glass is always half-empty. Right? We want to be around wholehearted people, people that love life, people that love what they do, people that make the best out of their circumstances, people that believe there's something good worth living for, right? Isn't that the kind of people we want to be? So how do we do that for Jesus? How do we live wholeheartedly for Jesus in your job? And you're like, Caleb, nobody at my job cares about Jesus. I know, but Jesus cares about everybody at your job. And he actually cares about your job. He cares about what you do in the world. He created that job in his head before you ever did it for the flourishing of communities in some way, shape, or form that you are meant to contribute to. What does it look like to be devoted to Jesus in your marriage? And some of you might say, well, Caleb, my partner is not devoted to me or to Jesus. It doesn't change that being devoted to Jesus brings flourishing in your life. What does it look like? What does it look like to be devoted to Jesus in your parenting? What does it look like to be devoted to Jesus in your relationships, your friendships, your free time, your entertainment? What does it look like to be devoted to Jesus in every area of of your life? What does it look like for you to be wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus? I would say that that might actually be the most important question that you could answer for yourself. Why? Because it is literally the only way that the longings of your heart will ever be satisfied? It's the only way. You can ignore that question, and most of us do, chasing our longings, and we end up unfulfilled. We end up continuing to long for things and saying, Jesus, when I get to heaven, you can make it okay, but right now I'm busy trying to get what I want. And Jesus is like, if you would just do what I want you to do, you might find a lot more of what you really want along the way. And this isn't a message about you getting what you want. It's about you getting what you were created for. It's about you being satisfied in the way your soul was meant to be. It's about you finding the voids in your life actually fulfilled. And some of us are so satiated temporarily with the things of the world, we're like, there's no void here, Caleb. No problems over here. My life is full, I got all the relationships, I got all the money, I got all the control that I want, I got all that, and I'd say, cool, come talk to me when that's over. Because it will be over. It will end. The relationships will fail. The money will run out. The success won't last. The fame goes away. And the longing returns. Because only Jesus can satisfy us eternally. What does it look like for you and I to live wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus? You know, it comes back to what Jesus said and how Jesus describes wholehearted devotion. He says in Mark twelve thirty, the number one commandment. If you were gonna try to sum up the whole Bible, and you, you can only do this if you're Jesus, but if you were gonna try to sum up the whole Bible into one, you would say this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And I want you to notice there that Jesus starts with the heart And it permeates every part of your being. Nothing held back. Because what starts in our heart ends up moving to our minds. It moves and permeates our soul. It ends up being what we give our strength and our energy to. When we are wholeheartedly after something, we give our soul, mind, and body to it. When we are parsed out between all sorts of heart desires, our mind and our, our body and our soul is scattered in a million directions. How many of you feel that way sometimes? Ooh, me. Pick me. Worst multitasker in human history right? So when Jesus says, here's one commandment, love God with everything, I'm like, oh, what's all the rest of this about? Because it's not always as easy as we want to make it, right? It's not loving according to our definitions, it's loving according to who God is. I found when I try to love my wife the way I think she should want me to love her, it works great for me, not always for her. Maybe you've had a relationship like that where someone loves you the way they think you should be happy with love, but you're like, hey, can I have a voice in that? Can I have an opinion in this relationship? see some, like, elbows getting thrown right now. Just be nice, okay? We all have our strengths and weaknesses. Wholehearted devotion implies a level of passion that affects every other area of your life. Wholehearted devotion means that what happens begins to permeate all of the other things. And that is not something to be taken lightly. First, because Jesus said, give it to Jesus, wholeheartedly love Jesus. But also because it begins to, to change the way that we live. Or, uh, uh, that we live. In fact, it's, it's kind of a rare thing, but it's so rare that when we see that level of wholehearted devotion to something in a human being, we celebrate it, don't we? I want you to think about this. Like when we see, it is rare, but when we see it, we celebrate it. It's the thing that great films are made of. It's, It's that single mom who has decided that her child is worth giving every spare minute of her day, every dime in her bank account, every bit of emotion to raise that child, to give that child a better life than what she has. It's a heroic story. It's the story of a soldier who lays down his life for his brother on the field of battle, who gives his life in service of something greater than himself. It's a heroic story, isn't it? It's the stories of leaders who have, have given up the comforts and the power and the control that they could have had in order to, do, to live for a cause that is better for other people than themselves. Right? Those are heroic stories, but they were wholeheartedly devoted to something bigger than themselves. There's also subtle ways that that happens, right? There's subtle ways that we would celebrate and you know, you might not be able to make a whole film out of it, a whole movie out of it, but what about about faithful spouses that put up with difficult spouses day after day because they believe the value of the marriage is bigger than their own comfort? Like every spouse in the room could nod their head at that to some degree. It's just as like how fast and hard you're nodding your head, right? (laughs) Because committing yourself to a broken person is hard. Right. Yeah. It's only worth it if there's something that's worth it. Yeah. And God says there's something worth it. Something, and there's something heroic about those who, who stick with it. Sometimes in very, very difficult situations. Right, what about, what about the responsible employee who does the job well when nobody's looking? Because they believe in the integrity and the reputation of their their job, their career field, their workplace, their company. They believe in the reputation of, of the owner of the business. They actually are laying down their life in some small way that nobody ever knows for the sake of something bigger than themselves. What about a good citizen who serves their community for no other reason but that they believe that their life could make somebody else's life better that they'll never meet? Right There's small examples and big examples, but those examples are all things that as we hear about them, we're like, yeah, yeah, that would be honorable. Maybe we even think, wow, those are things that I don't do, but it'd be good if I did. Maybe they're things that you are doing, and I want to say that in some way, small or large, you are one of those heroic humans that God has called us all to be. Right, because the Bible puts high value on the wholehearted devotion of a human spirit to something other than themselves, right? That's why John 15, 13 says there is no greater love than this, that someone would lay down their life for their friends, right? There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for their friends. Anytime, anywhere that we lay down our life for the sake of someone else, it's beautiful and it's powerful, we're used to the idea of God doing that for us, but what if we did that for him? What if we saw our only good response to a God who's laid down his life for us as finding ways day after day to lay down our life for him, right? But that level of devotion is pretty rare. Have you noticed that? The stories I'm saying, we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I bet there's some, some business owners who are, who are in here that are like, man, I'd... I wish I could find an employee like that, right? There's some of you in here who are you're like, I wish I would have been loved by a spouse like that. Some kids who are like, I wish I had parents like that, right? We understand that that is rare. It's not the natural direction of humanity. Why is that? Why is that? Wholehearted devotion is hard. It's a hard thing to do, it's a rare thing to do, and I think this is why wholehearted devotion is only given when we recognize something of greater worth than ourselves. And the hard part about that is not finding something of greater worth than ourselves, it's that we're generally so consumed with ourselves we can't see anything else. I'm preaching to myself this morning, all right? Generally, when I'm grumpy, unhappy, frustrated, stressed out, I'm a lot, I'm just way too focused on my own circumstances. But when I am focused on Jesus, when I'm focused on someone that is worth devoting my life to, joy, peace, love, hope, wisdom flows out of that. We tend to be a little too focused on ourselves. A vision for something greater. That's what wholehearted devotion is really about. It's about something capturing your heart in such a way that you no longer want to serve yourself. You want to give your life to that thing. Have you ever had that? Have you ever, have you, have you ever found that where you're like, there's something so amazing that I want to give my life. It moves beyond a sense of duty, beyond the like, well, I should which isn't bad, that's an okay starting spot, that's a, that's a part of devotion, but wholehearted devotion goes beyond I should to I want. You know, I was praying this last week in a moment of difficulty, I was praying, Lord, I need you, I need you, Lord, I need you to show up, I need you to help me, I need you to give me wisdom, and I felt like like I was convicted in my own heart, and in that moment I changed my prayer, Lord, I don't just need you, I actually want you. I don't, I'm not just calling out to you because like, I, I could really use a hand right now. I could, I could really use a pick-me-up. I could really use you to show up right now, even though I, I did, I could. But God, I actually want you. I want you more than my own answers. I actually want to see you show up more than I want to see Caleb show up. I want your wisdom more than I want to be the guy with all the answers. I want your strength more than the greatest strength I've ever experienced in myself. God, I want to see you because when I look in the mirror, I know it's not enough for everything that I face in my life. God, I want you. That's the heart of devotion. It's something that I want you more than I want anything for myself. It's a desire so deep that you are willing to sacrifice for the sake of it, but the sacrifice is no sacrifice at all. It's actually a joy because of the vision of something greater. You know, as I was preparing this message this week and praying, about, I was reminded of a of Kind of a childhood ideal, something that I rem- there was a season where I didn't really want to read any books. I think that's pretty common for little boys. They're like, uh, I just want to be in action mode all the time. And so my mom was trying to figure out how to get me to read books, and my grandma bought me some books about knights. Knights in shining armor, right? Not knights like when they get dark. And I remember being very fascinated by this. And I remember, um, I remember, you know, thinking that these knights were awesome. And there were stories about these knights battling things that they should have never been able to win on their own, right? These knights battling dragons and going and standing by themselves to defend villages. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, some of you are just cynical, right? Like in our culture, you're like, Caleb, there are no real knights like that. Knights actually did bad things, You know, knights, like, pillaged the villages. They didn't defend them. You know, knights went on crusades, and that was horrible. You're like, okay, I get it. But the idyllic knight in Western civilization was quite a theme. In fact, it was a symbol of hope in the Dark Ages, that these knights would stand for something when no one else would, that they would actually represent something when no one else would, that they would go out and fight the battles no one else would fight. And so the knight was a symbol of hope. Unfortunately, like we all like to do, we like to kind of get the heroism without the cost. And that's where all the you know bad night stories come from. They ruined it. But you don't read those when you're a kid. You only read the good night stories. And so I remember reading these stories and thinking it was great. But here was the thing that was amazing to me. Here was the thing that kind of, kind of always shocked me. These knights were were the good knights were never heroes for their own sake. The good knights were always heroes for the sake of a great king and his people. The knights stood as symbols of peace, as symbols of courage, as symbols of hope for a whole community. And they never used their power for themselves. They always pointed to a king and served him for the sake of his people. It's a pretty cool idea. But again, I don't think I always captured what it took to be a knight. And I want, you know, I want Pastor Harrison to come up here. Pastor Harrison, I think you have, you, there's a knight inside of you waiting to be released. Don't you think Pastor Harrison looks like a knight, modern day knight? He serves us as our, as our communications and media pastor, so everything that's spelled right in anything that you've ever re- read from this church, it's because of him. If it was spelled wrong, it's the devil's fault. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But he's he's also our college-age pastor. He's a great guy. And and Pastor Harrison, I want you to help me demonstrate this. You're a knight, or you're a a wannabe knight. I can see it inside of you. You're a wannabe knight. And so what you do when you're a wannabe knight is you think, well, to be a knight, I can't be a knight on my own. No knight could be a knight on their own. A knight was was a place of nobility, and commoners could never be noble on their own. The only one who could bestow nobility was a king. And so you think about, like, man, where is there a king that I would actually want to serve, where I'd want to give my life to? Man, I want to be more than than what people think I am. I want to be more than I was born to be. I want to be more than the world says about me. I need a king that I can give my life to. Now, I'm not a king by any means, just so you know, Harrison, I'm not. so so don't be tempted, but for the sake of an illustration, what what the the wannabe knight would do is they would come, and hopefully they would have a sword, because you kind of need one to be a knight, and they would come, and they would bring this symbol of power, and the the sword was a symbol of their life, and they would offer the king the sword as a symbol of their life, and the king had a choice to make, so um, Harrison, you... You have to take a knee, actually, not because of me. This is weird, I know, but take a knee because you're a wannabe knight, yeah. And and so you would come, and y- you know, you don't have to say this, but Harrison would come, and he would say, you know, something like, "Hey, King Caleb, don't say it. It'd be weird. <laughs> don't say it. It'd be weird." But he would come, and he'd say, he'd say, "I offer you my sword." You can say that part. I offer you my sword. King Caleb. <laughs> Thank you, yes. Harrison. And then the king would take the sword, and in this moment. He has the wannabe knight's life in his hands. Literally, a peasant, a commoner, sorry, again, uh, I like him a lot. That's why I can't just call anybody up here. A, A peasant, a commoner, has put his life in the king's hands, and the king gets to decide, do I want this person? Is this person worthy of me? Is this person someone who will represent me? And usually, the king would want to know some things, would want to know, have you had any exploits? And Harrison would say, yes, I'm the communications pastor at Sound Life Church. Hello. <laughs> you know, like, I'm responsible for an online service, okay? So all those types of things. And, and so, um, so Harrison would say, yes, here's here's some of what I've done. Here's my resume of of great things I've done. And I'd want to know some other things about Harrison. I want to know, who is this person the kind of person that represents me? And at the end, I I can take his life if I want. I'm the king. Not really, just for the sake of the illustration. I can do whatever I want. I can shame him. I can return him. Or I can say, with this symbol of his life and his power, I can say, I knight you, again, symbol of life and power. I knight you, my knight. Now rise, Sir Harrison. No, rise, Sir Harrison, (laughs) knight of Sound Life Church. (laughs) Right? And and from this point forward, (laughs) thank you, thank you. From this point forward, Harrison's life now belongs to me. Again, don't have bad dreams about this. Harrison's life, everything he lives for, he has chosen to give everything he lives for to me. What he does is for me. If he wins a battle, it's for my glory. If he loses, it's to my shame. Whatever he does will reflect on me. And I have chosen that and he has chosen that. We have engaged in what the Bible calls a covenant. And though he offered himself to me as a servant... I have extended to him the honor of nobility. And in that nobility, his heart was noble because he was a servant. But now he has the authority to go use that nobility for the sake of a whole kingdom. And his success and his failure are a direct representation of mine, right? Can we give Sir Harrison another round of applause? He's the first knight Sound Life Church has ever had. <laughs> kind of a big deal. By the way, I want to thank, this is actually Pastor Darren's sword. They do things a little different down in Ording Valley. No, just kidding. I'll just say, if you're a LARPer, don't mess with Pastor Darren, okay? No, but here's the thing. I loved the stories of knights because they were people, I felt like, I felt like I could be that. I felt like I was a common guy. I was a nobody. I was was just an average kid on the playground. I wasn't anything particularly special, but I thought, maybe I can offer my life to something bigger than me, and it can matter, right? Because that's what happens when we give our lives to something bigger than ourselves. Do you know what? When you give your life to something bigger than yourself, your life begins to matter to more than just yourself. That's the beauty of knighthood. That's the beauty of being a noble servant, someone who would give up. And do you know what these knights did? They were famed for giving up, like giving up homes and possessions, for giving up careers, for giving up love. Some of the greatest knight stories. We don't like these stories anymore because you can't have any love scenes in the movies. But the greatest knights were like, no, I cannot fall in love with you. I must serve my king. Nowadays, we're like, dude, take the girl and the king and the sword and everything, Right? <laughs> But there, they were so committed to giving their potential to the service of something greater than themselves that they put all other passions to the side. They lived for it. They died for it. Every waking moment, that was their identity. Sir Harrison. Representing who? Sir Harrison of Harrison? That's a lame knight. No, Sir Harrison of Sound Life Church. Man, they're gonna make a movie about you, Harrison. I can feel it coming. (laughs) Somebody write that script. Harrison's our media pastor too, so he can film it for himself. (laughs) I love the picture of the night because it's a picture of someone who is both noble and a servant. The best of all worlds, a noble servant who was motivated by this belief that the success of their king and the kingdom they served was far greater than any success that they could choose on their own. So they gave themselves to the success of their king and their kingdom. You know, that's what the Bible pictures for us in David. The Bible pictures a guy in David who lived that way, though he was a peasant, who did become a king, what God loved about him is that both as a peasant and as a king, though he made mistakes, though he was rough around the edges, he did some not noble things in his life, but his heart continued to come back to say, you are my king, and there were literally moments where he said, if you want to take the power back from me, if you want to take my life away from me. I know I deserve it, you can do it. He didn't try to run, he didn't try to hide, he didn't try to save it for himself, he gave it to God. And though God at times gave him consequences, God never rejected him. God never withdrew the nobility that he had extended to him. God, in fact, because of his heart, as a noble servant said, your legacy is gonna be like my legacy. It's gonna last forever. And that's the reality of a noble servant. A noble, their their legacy lasts as long as they do. Maybe a generation beyond. A noble servant of a great king, their legacy lasts as long as the king's. And a noble servant of the eternal king, their legacy lasts forever. Right? That was the picture of David, and that was also the picture of Jesus. Jesus, who came as a humble servant to represent a great king. Jesus who came to fight the greatest battle that would ever be fought, and he didn't fight it with power. He fought it with humility, right? He didn't fight it by dominating. He fought it by serving. He didn't fight it by, by proclaiming his own opinions all the time. Unless someone asked, and then he answered pretty humbly. He fought it by laying down his life for something greater than himself for a king and a kingdom greater than himself and he has called all of his people to follow that example that's a crazy thing to sign up for Knights didn't usually sign up for the king who got killed they didn't sign up to follow the example of the leader who died but our leader didn't die I mean he died He died and then he conquered death too. He didn't want to settle for just conquering other kings. He conquered the prince of this world, the prince of evil. He conquered the prince of darkness. He conquered sin itself. He conquered the one who was keeping all of us enslaved. Jesus laid down his life for the king, the greatest king, the king of heaven, and for his kingdom. He's called us to do the same and that's the kind of life that the apostle Paul is calling us to in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. We read this verse and we're like, "Oh, this is a nice verse about worship." And it is. But in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, Paul says, "And so," that and so is really important. Paul just wrote 11 chapters so that he could write this line. He writes, "And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you," If Paul could get on a stage and scream at everybody, he would. I plead with you. That's what pleading is. Please. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And so, do you know what and so is? And so is, because when you sinned, God didn't give up on you. When God created you and you rebelled against his purpose for you, he didn't give up on you. When you couldn't save yourself, he didn't give up on you. When there was no hope for your future, he didn't give up on you. When you broke it again and again and again, he didn't give up on you. And when even you dying for yourself couldn't save you, he came and died for you. And when there was no king left to show you the way, he rose from the dead for you. And so, and so, live a life that he will find pleasing, holy and acceptable, set apart for him. Sacrifice yourself just to show him that you see what he did for you. And so, Live your life wholeheartedly devoted to him. Paul says, I plead with you. If there's one thing I wrote, Romans 1 through 11 for, it's for this point that you will live your whole body, everything you are, every thought, every action, every part of your soul and spirit, that you will live it all as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, in every day, every breath, every heartbeat, in your workplace, in your home, and everywhere in between, living sacrifice just to please him just for the honor of your king and his kingdom. And so, dear brothers and sisters, live for him. That's what it means to be devoted. That's why we are devoted. That is the vision of something greater than ourselves. And every time Caleb Bryant starts thinking about his agenda, his ambitions, his career path, his desires, everything else. I'm confronted with something greater. Caleb, all of those things that you want for yourself are nowhere as good as what God has in mind. Devote yourself to something greater than yourself. Because when you're devoted to Jesus, when you're devoted to Jesus, you give him your very best in every part of your life. And do you know what the value of that is? you get God's very best. You get God's very best. But the next lesson is that it doesn't always look the way we think it should look, does it? And that's why Paul in the next verse says, by the way, if you're gonna do this, if you're gonna live this life as a response to what Jesus did, if you're gonna sacrifice yourself as a response to Jesus did, if you're going to try to live your life in honor of a greater king, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Heart has to go to mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Do you want peace in your life? It's God's will. You'll find it in God's will. You want good and pleasing and perfect in the midst of a broken world? You find it in God's will. And the only clue that he gives you right here is you won't find it the way the world's trying to find it. You need God not only to just change, you don't need the God to change the world around you, by the way. He doesn't say, don't look like the world and wait for God to change the world. Then you can find God's will. No. He says, you're not gonna find it the world's way, but what you really need is not for the world to change, you need your mind to change. You need God to change the way you think. I need God to change the way I think. I need God to change the way I think because the way I think is Caleb, 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 Caleb. Caleb first, Caleb first, Caleb first. What about Caleb, what about Caleb, what about Caleb? God changes the way I think too. What would God want in this situation? What would bring God glory in this situation? Because I know God's glory is the best thing for Caleb's glory. It puts Caleb's glory aside When necessary, it shares glory with Caleb when God thinks it's a good time for it. God's glory is the best of all possible worlds. It's good and pleasing and perfect to everyone involved. But I need God to change the way I think. And Paul says that's a lifestyle of worship. And as we close today, I want to ask you a few questions. I want to give you some pointers as to how we do this. Because I think a lot of us in this room, a lot of us listening today would say, Caleb, Jesus has my whole heart. But when I look at the actions of my life and the thoughts of my mind, they conform to the pattern of this world. They far too often conform to exactly the way the world is. I talk like the world talks. I act like the world acts. I pursue what the world pursues. My dream for my life is the same dream for my life as my neighbor who does not know Jesus, as my coworker or my boss who does not know Jesus. I have the same exact dreams. I just want Jesus to be involved. Half-hearted, not whole-hearted. And what we will find is the same result that our neighbor, our coworker, or boss is that the results are also half satisfying, if that. They're not good, pleasing, and perfect because they're just part of God's will, maybe. Maybe not his will for you at all. Are you living in every area of your life a wholeheartedly devoted life? Because wholeheartedly devoted people give Jesus priority in their time, energy, and resources. Are you giving Jesus priority in your schedule? I'm just being mean right now. I'm just being a pastor, so forgive me. It's my job. I'm supposed to be mean at these situations, okay? You know I'm joking, but seriously, are you giving Jesus priority in your schedule? Jesus is a pretty nice guy, so he often gets bumped, right? Jesus is pretty forgiving. Does he have priority in your schedule? Does he have priority in your budget? Whoa! That money's mine, Caleb. I worked for it with all of my strength. Wait, doesn't that give the Lord your God all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Yes. And all of the results of it? That's why God commanded to give the first fruits. Prioritize Jesus in your budget? These are just simple questions. You know. Was Jesus first on your schedule today? You're like, I'm at church, Caleb. Okay, how about tomorrow? Is Jesus first on your schedule? Does he have priority? When your boss calls and says, you gotta get here, are are you finding where is Jesus fit in my schedule? Or is it always Jesus? Are you leading your family to a place where Jesus is prioritized in your schedule? We had an interesting choice this last week. Sam, my son, is playing football for the first time. It's kind of fun. We found out that a lot of the practices are on Wednesday nights. I was like, well, my son's committed to Royal Rangers on Wednesday nights. Now, on the one hand, Jeanette and I had the, were like, well, it's not going to Royal Rangers is not the end of the world. He's not going to you know, be a pagan just because he didn't go to Royal Rangers. But I'm also thinking, what are the priorities I'm setting for my children? What is first for my children? What, what am I going to say to my children is more important? You know what? Royal Rangers, where men disciple you and show you how to be like Jesus when you're a man, that's not a big deal. Being a star in football is a big deal. Some of the people are going to watch this online after soccer practice, and they're going to feel convicted about that one. I love you. I love you. May the Lord use your child's soccer career for his glory. And it's just an example. We all make different choices. And I'm not saying that you have to be at at church 52 weeks a year. I'm not saying that you have to be in Royal Rangers to be holy. I'm not saying that all those things. I'm saying, where are you prioritizing Jesus in your schedule? Where is Jesus first? Where is Jesus number one? And as long as he's number one, use the rest of your schedule. Use it however you want. There should be variety in that part but is Jesus number one in your schedule? Is he number one in your budget? Is he number one in how you use your energy? Because we all have limited capacity for that. Secondly, wholeheartedly wholeheartedly devoted people acknowledge Jesus as king in every aspect of life. In every aspect of life. You know, Romans 10.9 says this, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Do you know that that same way that you get saved is the same way, the same way that you make Jesus Lord of your life in the first place is the same way you keep Jesus as Lord in every area of life. That when you show up to work in the morning, before you walk in that door, you sit in your car and you say, Jesus, you're the Lord of today. You are the one I serve today. You are the king of my day. You're the king of my schedule. You're the king of my circumstances. You are my king. Let me serve you, let me honor you, but let it be known that you are my king. When you go home, before you get out of that car and go in and bless your family with your presence, may it be a blessing. (laughs) Jesus, you are king of my home. You are the king of my family. You are the head of my household. Jesus, you are Lord in this place. You are king, and I am a servant of your kingdom. Wherever you go, when you walk your neighborhood, Jesus, you're Lord of this neighborhood. You're like, I don't get to really determine my neighbor. No, 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 no. You are a messenger of the king. You are knighted by Jesus with his Holy Spirit. Wherever you go, you proclaim the one kingdom that will have all of the ends of the earth, the one kingdom that will last forever. You say, Jesus, you're Lord here. And if you're not Lord here yet, be Lord here as soon as you possibly can. Be Lord in my neighbor's homes. Be Lord in my street. Wherever we go, Jesus, you are Lord. You know what I've been praying lately? Jesus, you're Lord in the state of Washington Jesus, you're Lord in the United States of America. Jesus, you're Lord in the world. Jesus, you're Lord. Now, that's not a a statement of, of, it's just a statement of trust. It's a statement of saying, Jesus, this all belongs to you. Whether we act like it today or act like it tomorrow, whether your church acts like it, because sometimes your church really doesn't act like it, whether people that don't know you act like it because they don't know to act like it, whether anybody acts like it or not, Jesus, you are Lord. And if nobody else knows it today, I know it today. If nobody else knows it in this moment, I know it right now. And do you know who's listening? The angels. All the time. Do you know who's listening? God. All the time. Do you know who's fully aware? The thousands upon thousands of angels that exist, as the Bible says, much nearer than we think. And it matters to them. It matters. So proclaim Jesus as king. Acknowledge him as king. Wholeheartedly devoted people work like Jesus is their supervisor. You might hate your job. You might hate your boss. Teenagers, you might not have a job and your parents are like your boss and guaranteed you hate your job and your boss. (laughs) Sometimes. But that's not who your real boss is. Because everything you have been given to do, God gave it to you to do. Every task that's in front of you is a task that God knows is your task. He knows you're responsible, and you get to do it for him or not. You get to choose to dedicate that task to him or not. You might has you know, every parent gets this joy of sometimes it's like, whose turn is it to clean the toilets? Until your kids get big enough to clean toilets. But... (laughs) You guys are like, you make your kids clean toilets? Only sometimes, okay? They need to learn how to take care of themselves when they're living out of the house, right? But here's the thing. You also know that when your kid cleans the toilet, you have to go clean the toilet later anyways. But when it's your job to clean the toilet, you can clean the toilet because you have to, You can clean the toilet because your wife told you to. You can clean your toilet because your kid didn't do it well enough. Or you can clean that toilet because you get to clean that toilet for Jesus. And when I clean a toilet for Jesus, I'm going to scrub that thing spick and span. I'm going to make that thing sparkle. Why? Because if that's the only throne I see that day, I'm going to make it shine like Jesus was sitting on it. Why? Wow. You guys get excited about toilets. Woo! Okay. Anyways. The point is this, whatever is in front of you to do, don't do it for your boss. Don't do it for your spouse. Don't do it for yourself. Do it unto Jesus. And when I do things that way, they get done right. And do you know what? I feel the joy and pleasure of God in that moment. Even if my boss is like, huh, missed a spot. Right? Even if my wife never notices. Sometimes she's not going to notice. I'm usually worse at that anyways. Noticing things. Whatever. You know who notices? God. Because everything in this world matters to him. The way that you write your papers for school. The way that you sing songs in the, well, maybe not, because he likes a joyful noise no matter what. But whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Do it for God. And even if you're bad at it, he's still pleased with it. That's the grace of Jesus. Whatever God has given you to do, do it. For him, not for you, not for a boss, not for anyone else. And let him bless you in that task. And then lastly, wholeheartedly devoted people respond to others as a representative of Jesus. Remember the night? The night does not go anywhere for their own power and glory. The night goes everywhere for the power and glory of their king. The knight does not open their mouth and think it represents anyone else but the king. The knight wears the colors of the king. The knight fights under the banner of the king. The knight only represents what the king wants him to represent. The knight no longer has a right to personal opinion. (gasps) He must not be an American knight. (laughs) Or maybe that's just why chivalry died. I don't know. But here's the thing. The knight doesn't represent himself, the knight represents the king. Nothing comes out of the knight's mouth except what he thinks the king would want him to say. Nothing goes on the knight's social media feed unless it represents the king. And when it doesn't represent the king, he types it out. (laughs) He's like, ooh, the king would not be pleased by this. Delete, 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 delete. You make fun but you've been there. (laughs) Represent the king. And sometimes the king calls you to fight, but most of all, the king calls you to serve. Our king calls us to lay down our lives, to represent him as humble, 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 servants of the king. You know, by the way, that's where the knights got a bad rap. They started saying they were fighting for the king. They started carrying out the king's kingdom, but it was really their agenda, their kingdom. That's what happened in the Crusades. They said it was for Jesus. Jesus didn't get any glory out of that. Right? Respond to others as a representative of Jesus. That looks like a lot of different things. What does it look like, men, to represent Jesus to your wives and family? I hate saying that, because I know that I fail at that all the time. But my responsibility is to represent my king to my (laughs) wife and my family. What does it look like to represent Jesus to your coworkers? What does it look like to represent Jesus to your neighbors? What does it look like? It changes the way you think when you sincerely ask that question. We are supposed to respond as representatives of Jesus in every situation. Here's the cool thing. I think there's actually a lot of people like this at Sound Life Church. I think that in, in, in a lot of ways that we, we do a fantastic job, but can I tell you something? I told this to my wife the other day. I said, what was good enough last season is not good enough this season. Our level of devotion in the past is not good enough for the challenges we face today. What felt like wholehearted in the past, I'm seeing, was not, is not wholehearted enough for this season, is it? I know that you are facing challenges in your workplaces. I know that you're facing challenges in your family. I know that homes are ripped apart by arguments over COVID. I know that workplaces are being ripped apart over arguments over mandates. I know the conflict that we are in the midst of and the temptation in conflict is always to join the fight. Unless you're Jesus, who wins by laying down his life. What does it look like for you to represent Jesus? I know it's in the hardest of places. I know it is. I grieve for you. I wish I had better answers for you. I wish I knew exactly what to do all the time. I hate not knowing. What I do know is that Jesus does. And it starts by living as noble servants, humble, noble servants. Live for his glory, not for your own. This is a season where every battle is a battle for glory of some human agenda or another. Every battle is for some human idea or another. But what is God concerned with? God is not concerned nearly as much with whether the person across from you has the same opinion of masks, vaccines, governmental authority, politics as you do. He's concerned with the fact that they have a soul And where will they live for eternity? He's concerned with the dignity. And will they find, will the image of God in them be recognized and dignified in the world that they walk in? Only representatives of the king can give that. Will we be people who do that? Will we be people who in every place, everywhere we go, we are responsible first to the king? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you and we are reminded of our King, our Savior, stripped naked, beaten to a pulp, hung on a cross to be tortured and killed. We are reminded of how you initiated your kingdom. We're reminded of how you extended your rule, not through of power, but through self-sacrifice. That for the joy set before you, for the honor of your father and for the love of your people, you laid down your life. We are reminded that you laid it down for each one of us and so Father, I ask that just like Jesus did for us that you would put it in our hearts by your spirit to live as noble servants of our King Jesus to represent him well to the world around us. And Father, in order to do that, in order to live a life that is worthy of what you have done for me, I need you to change the way I think. I need you to help me not conform to the world around you I need you to save me from the sin that's inside of me. I need you to use me as a beacon of hope for the world around me. So Lord, would you help all of us to devote ourselves to you and hold nothing back so that the world might know that there is a king who is worthy of laying their lives down for because he's the king that laid his life down for them.